The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of hosts and guests. The view and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Memorial Healthcare System, Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting, pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. My name is Jason Grant Enriquez, and I'm here with my totally awesome co-host, Dr. Latanya Benjamin. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. Latanya Benjamin, the Medical Director for Pediatric Dermatology at Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Carlos Perez Mitchell, who's a head and neck oncologist, who will be talking to us later in the show on what parents and tweens and teens should know about HPV and the HPV vaccine. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about the crick in my neck that I was feeling. No, oh. no, not this time, not this time. Oh. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually near and dear to my heart, which HPV, because I see many manifestations of this as a pediatric dermatologist. So you can get the viral infection anywhere on your body. You can get it um, in the oral cavity, in your mouth tongues, lips, we have to evaluate that, on the skin, you know, your common wards, your viral wards, um, genital wards. Thankfully, I don't see that many in the pediatric population, but of course, we're trained and licensed to differentiate that from, you know, cancers caused by the virus. Well, that's uh, extensive. I didn't know you can get it uh, so many different places. I thought it was more just a uh, sexually transmitted disease. And uh, Oh, yeah. We, we'll hear later today in our coffee chat that you can actually develop throat cancer, you know, if it's in your oral cavity. What? Um, yeah, the virus can go anywhere in our body. And so we'll talk about how the vaccine may possibly even prevent throat cancer. So there are going to be some interesting topics later on. Wow. Well, on a different note, uh, we'll be talking about uh, potential speech delays in toddlers by using handheld devices, which is another interesting topic. All right, looking forward to it. I cannot wait. Before we move on, here's a word from our sponsors. Patient and family-centered care. At Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, it's the difference you notice. It's what you feel. It's how we care. And it's why we've been recognized as the world's first designated person-centered children's hospital by Plaintree. When it matters most, trust Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Learn more at jdch.com care. And welcome back. Before we get to today's guest, let's bring in our one of our amazing producers, Bahati. Hello. What's making news in the parenting world? Hello, guys. How are you doing today? Good, good. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. So first up, you both have children. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Benjamin, you have a, 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 a toddler. Yes. So does your toddler, do you allow your your daughter to use handheld devices like a, your mobile phone or a tablet? Unfortunately, yes. I have to be honest. <laughs> if not, we'll never ever be able to go to a restaurant and eat a meal. Right. <laughs> right. No, she's actually gotten better as older. But yeah, mm-hmm. of course, she's definitely, I feel like I'm one of those parents that it's just the new norm. It, of it course. Is, it and is. it's course. terrible. I hate to admit it. I wish it wasn't so. It's terrible, but, it, but it's also fascinating because I'm sorry, when I see I forget toddlers, babies manipulating uh, smartphones. I, it's like watching it's, a dub, it's like watching a double rainbow. I'm like this. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's they're, fascinating. They're pinching. They're, mm-hmm. they're expanding. I said, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Wait the a time minute. she first swiped to the left, <laughs> and she knew what she was doing. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Clearly, none of us uh, had access to <laughs> mobile devices. It didn't even exist when we were young. But today, obviously, probably every parent that you probably ask 
um, who has a mobile device lets their children use it. According to a Common Sense Media study, however, found nearly 40% of children under two have used a mobile device, which obviously does not surprise. Oh. So you've lessened my shame. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So and Those are probably conservative views. I'm sure it's much more than that. <laughs> so this was the first study presented at the 2017 Pediatric Academic Societies meeting looking at the correlation between mobile device usage and communication delay in children. So apparently, according to this study, Every 30-minute increase in daily screen time was linked to a nearly 50% increase in the uh, study participants, which were uh, on average like 18-month-old babies, delaying their use of sounds and words. And so what this is implying is that the more screen time babies or toddlers spend um, with handheld mobile devices, the less time they're spending talking to their parents or other adults or their siblings. I agree. Which it's is important. how yeah, you they develop need to communicate. language. Mm-hmm. When you say it that way, you know, originally when I, when I you know, saw the uh, chat, I was like, okay, maybe this is just, you know, the witch hunt, you know, too much TV <laughs> and you're going to get, you know, dumb. But not actually, that sounds legitimate. That mm-hmm. actually seems, uh, it, I do believe that uh, with technology, it does uh, limit or regress our social skills. Mm-hmm. And it's very important for you know, children uh, young to interact, develop those social skills, uh, to have a you know screen to you play with that screen. You're interacting with a, <laughs> with a tablet or with a, with a brick, and that's right. not it doesn't talk back to you. It just, so it's what's the solution? Do you limit your child? Like um, the, the the time. I I promote another confession. No okay, no listen, no no. Fair I, I, can, I understand. <laughs> I do understand that they're gonna that this this is part of reality. It's it's you know it's not too late, but it's a, my kids are a little older. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I promote more co-optive daddy time mm-hmm. where we may or may not integrate um, a a tablet or a media with it. So at mm-hmm. least we're still interacting while we're you know engaging. Like you, in, you mean like you ask what are you watching and kind of engage with what you're well, looking more, or viewing wa- together or, or watching it with them or mm-hmm. finding ways like like uh, another way. You know, before tablets, there was you know laptops. So what would you do? So we all had laptops. We're all in our own separate rooms. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's play a, a game together. Let's all network online. Yes. Let's sit in the same room. Let's talk. And you know, where yes. are you? Something like that. You know, where you can co- co-op with it. That's what I. Would, that's my opinion. I like that. But I would agree if they're under two for sure. I mean, the limited amount. What does the AAP say as far as um, the AAP says? The American Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends that watching high-quality programming, like educational programming, with children under six for limited amounts of time. So, for example, an hour a day. Okay. And while you're sitting there watching the program or you know um, actively participating in the app, explain to them what it is. Mm-hmm. What what are we doing together? And that gives them an opportunity to, again, express um, their opinion. The parent can talk to them about what's going on. And it's not just the kids sitting there alone. Right. Because, I mean, at, at the beginning I was joking as far as, yes, I do have her, and she is allowed to use a mobile device. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There are very educational things. Um, that's how she Absolutely. quickly picked up her letters, her ABCs, yeah. and things like that. So used in the right way, you can add it as a helpful thing definitely definitely kind of like how we used to you know back in the day you, you, you'd read <laughs> don't you'd say flashcards no 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 you know you'd read <laughs> you'd read books you know book time you know read yes. books and, yes. and that'd be an interactive you'd be reading making sounds right. maybe finding a way to, to take that that fundamental and put it with you know social not social media with the uh, the mobile devices mm-hmm. and you know use that you know mm-hmm. interact with them by using that media to help strengthen the connection right it's got to be a way to do it right you don't want to <laughs> demonize obviously technology because it's a, a wonderful enriching 
um, device devices and apps that we have. But you also everything want to in be moderation, mindful. exactly. Like they say, everything in exactly. moderation. Exactly, exactly. So next up, uh, later in today's show, we will be talking to Dr. Carlos Perez Mitchell about the HPV vaccine and Ooh. HPV. So um, I don't know if you both knew this. This was a shock to me. Um, every year, 20 million new cases of STDs are reported in the U.S. And approximately half of those are people between the ages of 15 and 24. So pretty young. So young. Very, very young. Very, very young. So of those, 14 million new cases of HPV or the human papillomavirus are reported annually. And I also didn't know that HPV is actually the number one most common sexually transmitted infection in the country. Wow. Um, and HPV, it's, it, it's one of those diseases that... <coughs> it doesn't show itself for years, for many, many, many years. So studies have shown that the HPV vaccine can be very effective, it's safe, and it prevents up to 90% of HPV-related cancers. I don't know if many parents know that HPV can actually lead to cancer. So the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is actually recommending routine vaccination of HPV starting at the age of 11 or 12 and that's, some can say even starting at nine so like adding this to like the the, the typical list yes. of vaccines for exactly for, for a mumps child. rubella chicken pox hmm. well, that's a vaccine. little uncomfortable for pediatricians to start yeah. you know because these hpvs are usually a sexually acquired um infection mm-hmm. and so you have to start that conversation very early right and so this is a very uncomfortable topic at, at, at times yeah, in the office. Apparently we're lagging behind the developed world when it comes yes, to this. Yes, yes. There's a, there is a lag uh, behind other developed countries in the vaccination rate of girls and boys. And some say it's due to parents' uh, safety concerns. There have been reports in the media um, that have Suggested. basically suggested bit, that yeah. there have been some side effects, some harmful side effects mm-hmm. after a child has gotten the HPV vaccine or they think it's unnecessary because they don't think that their child mm-hmm. is going to Well, know, if you're acquire. starting to mm-hmm. ask at age 9 and 11, I hope not, but exactly. And so parents dismiss it, but there are um, some benefits. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be really interesting to hear from our expert today. Um, I would love to hear their take on uh, our the culture, you know, or the American culture, you know, you know, with, for lack of a better word, when it comes to sexuality, we're kind of prudish, you mm. know? And so when you're talking about HPV, mm-hmm. they may say, okay, there may be side effects, they're too young, but it's I think it's a manifestation of the fact that, you know, when it comes to sexuality, we are really sheltered when it comes to that. And this is a, this is a kind of like a sore topic. Mm-hmm. Do I want to be giving my child HPV vaccination? That's a sexual challenge disease. Mm-hmm. Wait, do I want to think of my child having sex? Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. What do, what do you mean sex? Is there sex? Yes. So <laughs> I, I can see why. You know, yes. it's touchy. Yes. Great discussion, guys. Yes. But before we get to today's guests, here's a word from our sponsor. U.S. News and World Report ranked our hospital in the top 50 best children's hospital for pediatric cardiology and heart surgery. To learn more about Jody Maggio Children's Hospital, visit jdch.com. Welcome back, and thank you once again for joining us on the Healthy Parenting Podcast. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Carlos Perez Mitchell. Hi, Dr. Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thank you, guys. Going to start with a very, very basic, because today we're talking about the human papillomavirus. Tell us more. What is HPV? 
Well, HPV stands for, uh, like you said, uh, human papillomavirus. Uh, HPV is actually, we need to know, it's actually the most common sexually transmitted uh, disease in the uh, U.S. at this time. So it's estimated that about 80 million people uh, at this time are infected or are going to become infected with the virus at some point. Now, would you say that HPV is uh, more common in tweens and, and teens when it comes to uh, sexually transmitted diseases? No. Um, since it's a sexually transmitted disease, um, usually it's not only it's kind of a misnomer because usually it could be transmitted also through the parent and child. And how that happens is through, you know, casual contact like a kiss or uh, salivary uh, or saliva could transmit the disease as well. Really? Yeah. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of those viruses that we've known for a while now. Uh, people usually uh, talk about HPV and cervical cancer, obviously in women. Uh, and that's the reason we started actually vaccinating women. Uh, we started about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it's only now in the last, I would say, decade is where we're seeing an increase in uh, HPV virus infection in, in males as well. And uh, it's causing other types of cancer now. What is, would you say is the recommended age for HPV vaccines? So the CDC um, last year, 2016, gave the new recommendations. Uh, it used to be it used to be a vaccine that was given on three doses. Now the CDC recommended that, that if it's a child that's younger than 13, let's say 11 or 12, you can actually give uh, two vaccines a year apart, and uh, you're protected, right? Uh, if it's an older, like adolescent in their 20s, you could still get the vaccine, but you would need uh, three doses. That's exactly right. Just yeah. on, uh, two days ago, a study came out that was recently published in the Sexually Transmitted Diseases. Right. And they're finding that, yes, yeah, so two doses give as much protection as three doses right. in genital warts for the younger age group. For the younger yeah. age group. And, it, and it's all, uh, you know, we want to start protecting uh, children uh, before they start having any type of, so not necessarily intercourse, uh, but uh, also through, like I said, more casual contact, like, you know, kissing, for example. And that's, that's why the age is usually between 11 and 12. Now, Dr. Benjamin and I uh, were speaking with our fantastic producer regarding certain, ex you know, reasons why uh, parents would be hesitant about uh, giving a vaccine to their children. Are there any side effects that we're... There could be. Uh, any vaccine would cause side effects or could cause, I'm sorry, side effects. Uh, you could get uh, redness, for example, on the side of, of placement. You could have an allergic type reaction, uh, but it's minimal. It's minimal. I know now uh, there's a lot of talk out there, which nothing is proven, uh, between this type of vac vaccines and autism. Uh, again, those are... Uh, published studies that haven't been proven in the lab. So they're not uh, case control studies. So we can't say uh, it's a fact, right? Uh, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of parents now kind of like uh, stay away from uh, this type of vaccines because of that. 
but I could tell you, I could tell you that uh, in the U.S., since this is the most common uh, sexually transmitted disease, uh, this this virus is definitely out there. It has uh, more than the strands that are given in the vaccine. So, in other words, in the vaccine, you ha you're protected for seven or eight strands, which are the ones that are most commonly know, uh, known to cause cancer. But there's about a hundred strands uh, of this virus. Did so you say a hundred strands? Hundred strands, meaning uh, I could, I call them cousins. So it's a family, and there's about a hundred different cousins uh, together with the with the virus. Each cousin has a has a number. So it goes one through through a hundred, for example, and depending on the number, which is the the type, uh, it's the risk involved in a certain type of cancer. So, for instance, if you have uh, if you're infected with number 16, HPV 16, you uh, have a 40-fold increase uh, in the possibility of you developing uh, throat cancer, for example. And wow. that's important for our listeners to understand and distinguish. There are multiple 70 to 100, like you mentioned, serotypes of HPV vaccines. Uh, sorry, HPV, the virus itself. Right. And so depending on the number um, and which strain you contract, you're either at low risk or high risk for developing cancers, um, depending on where this virus is infiltrating the part of the body. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So like in dermatology, we can have the low strain, non-cancer forming, where you have your common wart or verruca, or even in men, they can get lesions um, in the groin called boinoid papillosis. And it's not necessarily a high risk or turning or um, the counterpart to the women's cervical cancer ones. And so it's important to differentiate between the two uh, types of risk and they are stratified to what kind of disease you'll manifest. Wow. So tell us about this throat cancer. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a head and neck surgeon. I'm an ENT, uh, ear, nose, and throat surgeon who subspecializes in head and neck cancer. Uh, and it's interesting because in the last, I would say, 10 years, we've seen a dramatic shift in terms of the patient population who developed this type of throat cancer specifically. Uh, this type of cancer used to be very common in patients that were chronic smokers uh, and drank alcohol as well. And now we're seeing a shift where most of the patients, 80% to be exact, of these patients who develop throat cancer uh, have it because they have an infection with HPV number 16. Um, and it's usually most common uh, in men, it's more common in men. Uh, it develops, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that these patients were infected as adults. They were probably infected as, uh, when they were, you know, uh, as a child. But then it takes time for the virus to cause its oncogenic uh, problems in the body, right? So usually we see them when they're 35, 40, 45 years old. You see, and that's what I find uh, most fascinating is that you're saying that you're seeing an, an, an uptick in uh, situation with, with, with uh, this affecting the male population. Correct. Now, I'm a father. I have uh, two strapping young, not-so-little little boys. You know, one's turning 13, one's going to be 12. What are the th top three things I and parents like me um, should know about HPV vaccine? Well, you should know that they're at definitely at risk right now, as we speak, right? Uh, I think, like we said, I think the, the CDC is very clear that we need to... Uh, vaccinate uh, that age group. Both boys both and girls? Both boys okay. and girls. 
correct because it used to be mostly uh, female girls. Uh, but now it's the recommendation is for both uh, boys and, and girls. Uh, as, as we mentioned, uh, you only need now two doses instead of the, the three doses. At started, that. If you started, let's say you started the uh, vaccine and you didn't finish the two doses that you can continue, but you need three doses as an adult. So in other words, you got only one when you're uh, 11, 12, uh, and you skip the second one, then you need to start over and get the three of them as an adult. As a young adult when you're in your early 20s. Right. So we were also discussing uh, earlier how, and apparently, you know, the U.S. is on the low side when it comes to um, disseminating the HPV vaccine. We were discussing maybe it's a cultural thing because of sensitivity to, towards, um, you know, sexuality and stuff like that. What would you, um, how would you encourage uh, parents to consider the HPV vaccine and to, and to uh, look it up? Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of uh, literature out there. Uh, I think it's easy nowadays with, with uh, internet to look up into some of the information and look up, uh, you know, serious studies that have been done and specifically uh, studies, the parents need to look at studies that have been published in medical journals. Um, uh, I think uh, you're going you're gonna to find out, obviously, a lot of information for and against uh, the vaccine. But I got to tell you, uh, if any of these patients that I see now as adults with, uh, with throat cancer uh, had the vaccine back then, which we didn't have uh, for boys, right, uh, they wouldn't have been going through what they're going, you know, now. So uh, in all honesty, it, it could be a lifesaver. Are there studies that show now that uh, throat cancer is minimized by the HPV vaccine? Has that Not been yet. studied That's yet? That's a great question. Not yet, because we haven't been doing it for long enough. Right. So but we got to wait. that in clinical practice. We, we're extrapolating the data from cervical cancer. Uh, but I think uh, most likely 20 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, uh, when this boys now that are being vaccinated grow, uh, we're going to see that data. And we should start seeing a trend uh, as, you know, decreasing trend in the uh, population of cancer. That would be wonderful. Yeah. It would be wonderful. Any additional benefits from having the HPV vaccine that you could touch upon? Well, not only, not only causes throat cancer, uh, it can cause other types of cancer. For example, uh, penile uh, cancer, which is something that it's not uh, spoken a lot of because it's not that common, but mm -hmm. it could cause HPV. Uh, also, you know, obviously we talked about cervical cancer, but there's vulvar, you know, vulvar cancer, uh, cancer as well, and anal cancer could be caused also by the uh, human papillomavirus. So uh, you have definitely benefits from all those types. That is very interesting. I don't know what's what's more, uh, what's, what's keeping my head around either the hundred strains that we were talking about or that you see an uptick in the, uh, in the male population. It's just, it's amazing that we don't actually hear more about this and talk more about this. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, Definitely, we talk about it way more now than it used to be at least 10 years ago uh, because a lot of uh, people that are in the media, basically, uh, you know, specifically movie stars, have come out uh, and talked about it publicly. Um, they have developed oral cancer. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a well-known case. 
so uh, there's definitely more insight now than that when I started my training, basically. So that's a good thing. That is that's speaking yeah, to that's open up some minds. Thanks yeah, for raising the awareness. That's raising awesome. awareness, raising awareness. Uh, you know, April uh, was the uh, the month for uh, awareness of uh, head and neck cancer. Before we didn't even have one of those uh, uh, ties, the bow ties, you know, with the right, right. right. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knew about breast. Everyone knew about cervix. Yeah, but head and neck, it was it's burgundy, by the way. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, but now people see it, and uh, I think that's all the awareness that has come through with this. So for the um, folks, unfortunately, that have already succumbed to throat cancer, what is the main treatment? Just curious, is it surgical, or do you add medical therapies along with it, like chemotherapy? Yeah. Is it well, a combination? Yeah. Well, um, like every uh, other type of cancer in the body, we first, you know, after we diagnose the patient, we need to perform a staging. Okay. Uh, so stages go from one through four, depending on how advanced the cancer is. Uh, is it aggressive? Um, throat well, in general, you know what? or is it a the, slow? The, it's interesting because the the throat cancer that's caused by the virus is actually less aggressive than the throat cancer which is caused by smoking. Mm. So it, it, I guess that's a positive thing uh, if you want to think about it in that in in that sense. That if your cancer does have the virus, your uh, the chances are higher that you're gonna be able to uh, get rid of it. Is the treatment similar for uh, for those kind of cancers uh, when it comes to getting it either from the virus or from, let's say, uh, smoking? The treatment is similar. That's a great question. Uh, the chemo, we tend to be less aggressive now because we know that the tumors that have the virus are less aggressive. So we tend to be less aggressive in terms of the surgery. For example, we have minimally invasive surgeries now that we use with a robot, which we can actually go through the mouth and attack these tumors in the back of the throat. We could also be uh, less aggressive with the radiation, meaning the dose that you get uh, radiation. We can also minimize the treatment with chemotherapy, for example, where, where we have new, uh, we call it immunotherapy, uh, and new medications that we could give that are less toxic to the body. So yeah, no, uh, definitely HPV virus has definitely changed the uh, the face of, of head and neck cancer. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Great. Before we let you go, uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm really glad you guys gave me this opportunity because I no, thank you. Because I think one of the things I always like to talk about in terms of throat cancer. Or, or head and neck cancer specifically, regardless if it's related to the virus or not, it's that we really don't have uh, a study to determine who has it or who doesn't have it. Um, for example, for the public, if uh, you could do a sonomammogram uh, yearly to detect early lesions on the breast, uh, female uh, patients also could get their uh, pap smears for example, uh, for lung cancer, you have the chest x-rays, right? But for head and neck cancer, there's really no protocol or no, no approved uh, study to detect uh, early lesions. So we need to be very aware of the different signs and symptoms, early signs and symptoms, and make the public aware so we can basically make an early diagnosis. And that's really uh, our best weapon right now. 
Can you share a few symptoms? Yeah, I'd like to talk about three of them specifically. Any uh, any uh, tongue lesions, uh, what we call aftus ulcer, you know, in the lateral tongue, which doesn't heal in two weeks. That's a red flag that needs uh, immediate attention. Uh, any uh, pain when you swallow. Uh, if, you get a, if you're having pain uh, upon swallowing, you think you have a strep throat or you have an infection, you get antibiotics and it doesn't go away in two weeks, you should get uh, medical attention right away. Uh, and also hoarseness. A lot of patients who have hoarseness for a while, uh, a while meaning also two weeks, as the cutoff, uh, could have a voice box uh, cancer. And this is very important. Any uh, adult with a neck mass, any adult with a neck mass for more than two weeks is cancer until proven otherwise. Oh, so wow. I want to wow. close with that. Whew, that is a lot of information. So just to clarify with our audience, these, these aren't new conditions. They're just, just, we're just bringing more to awareness to it. More awareness, yeah. Um, I got to tell you, it's just, it's sad, but it's the, it's the, it's the reality that only when it cut, uh, or only when it cut the uh, attention of the, uh, of the media after uh, public figures mm -hmm. uh, were diagnosed with the virus, that's when we, and the cancer, that's when we really were made aware. But uh, before that, uh, no one really spoke, spoke about this about type it. of topic now. Well, thankfully now we have an option for something to possibly prevent. Um, infections and the more serious strains. So just take home message, even though it's transmitted through kissing and casual contact, when everyone running out thinking that they're gonna have it and they're gonna die or get throat <laughs> cancer. Right. Right. But it's more there are many different serotypes or strains of this virus and the more concerning strains are preventable. Correct. That's a great way to, to end it off here. Dr. Perez Mitchell, thank you so much thank for your you. time. Thank you yeah. for having Thanks me for here. Coming. It was a pleasure. Gracias. And thank you, our lovely, devoted audience, for joining us on the Healthy Parenting Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Tell others, share, share, share. And visit Joe DiMaggio's Facebook page.